0: My name is Adam. It's my joy to be one of the pastors here. This is a great Sunday for a lot of reasons. And I'm excited that the students are in with us uh, today uh, where they might be down the hall with first kids. This is a message I tried to have in mind all ages, but especially wanted to address our students as as they start another school year. One of the just rock solid, undeniable, enduring truths I've discovered in my life is this. If you survived middle school, you can do anything. Amen? That's right. Man, mean, I remember in middle school, just kind of give you the rundown of some of the, some of the ways I was made fun of. This is not therapy time with Adam, but just, you know, maybe you can identify with some of these. Uh, my jeans were from Walmart. They weren't from American Eagle, so I got made fun of because of that. Uh, I have a bit of a peculiar last name. It's Musto, and so the kids called me Adam Mustard, which was very hurtful. I still don't eat mustard to this day, by the way, just out of spite. Uh, spiked to mustard. I can't stand it. Man, I remember getting made fun of because I like WWF wrestling. Uh, Getting made fun of uh, because I could have pretty much had a beard in seventh grade. Uh, I could have, or I was made fun of a lot because uh, my dad was a pastor and I went to church a lot. So I've been called, you know, preacher boy more times than I can count. And then all that changed and it started over because the summer before ninth grade, I moved from the St. Charles area in, in St. Louis region to southeast Missouri to Cape Girardeau. And my first day of gym class, I'll never forget this. You know, boys tend to call each other by their last names sometimes, even and especially in gym class. I guess it feels more masculine somehow. I don't know why we do that. But so some people already started calling me Musto. Well, and this one individual, and I remember his name was Daniel, and he was just huge came up to me, and he hadn't quite gotten the memo. He said, hey, Musto, what's your last name? And I said, Musto. And he said, your name Musto, Musto? And, you know, just just not wanting, just wanting to lay low and comply, I was just like, yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's hard to be the new kid, man. But then in Cape Girardeau, I discovered two things very quickly. One, nobody cared what kind of jeans I wore. And two, Everyone loved professional wrestling. And I was like, these are my people. I'm home. Man, it's hard to be the new kid, isn't it? It's hard to break in, hard to start a new semester, hard to change schools, hard to have a new class. But that doesn't expire as, as we grow up. It's still hard to be new into town, it's still hard to be a new person at the office, it's hard to try and find a new church. That's why we have a sign out there just for new people, because it's tough to break in. Anybody ever encountered rejection because of maybe the stuff they were into or what they wore? You know, our hobbies or, or our appearance, these are, these are things that can bond us with other people. Like if you see somebody, I mean, I, I call somebody my bearded brother every Sunday. Or uh, if you see somebody with the same jersey or something that, of a team you love, you can strike up a conversation pretty easily but these outward things, like our interests or our clothes, can also be some of the, some of the things people use to judge us or, or reject us. And those are just on the surface. People may accept or reject us for all sorts of reasons. In this series called Unoffendable, we've been looking at the concept that as Christians, it's possible to choose to be unoffendable. And as hard as that is, that's what we're looking at. So today, the concept is, how do we handle rejection? And I think when we look at the life of Jesus, that picture starts to become clearer. And what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is that if we want to be unoffendable, then we need to be unsurprised when we're uninvited. Jesus experienced a lot of acceptance and rejection. He was accepted By all the wrong people, the people on the outside, the people on the margins, and the most powerful people rejected him. That's how you get crucified. There's one episode in Jesus' life where he's brought together his closest followers in order to send them out to do his work. It's like he's taken off the training wheels and it's their turn. We read this in Mark 6, starting with verse 6. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12, those are his disciples, to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. So Jesus pairs them up. He doesn't send them out in isolation. We could have a whole sermon on that, by the way. And he tells them, he pairs them up and tells them, look, it's your turn. Jesus has shared his life with his closest followers. He's he's shared his teaching with them. And now he's sharing his ministry with them. These were his instructions, we read in verses 8 and 9. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. So the disciples don't even, like, pack a carry-on, right? I think this would be a a tough assignment. The implication, I believe, is that Jesus wants them to depend on God on their journey. That God would provide through the hospitality of the towns and, and people they visited. Now, hospitality in the first century is much different than our concept of it in the 21st century. Like, what happens in your home when the doorbell rings and you are not anticipating it? Do you freak out? Who's at the door? Like, we have cameras we check now on our ring or whatever, on our phone. Who could be at the door? Man, if it's hailed recently, I won't answer my door for a week. You know what I mean? With all the salespeople coming up and knocking. Like we turn our homes into Airbnb's and VRBOs, but we freak out if someone's at the door and we don't expect it. In Jesus' day, it was very common practice to accept people into your home. Hospitality was a key value of Jesus' culture in the first century. So Jesus is telling the disciples to be dependent on God and trust that God will provide through the hospitality of others. Man, that would have been a risk. Even so, I imagine, assuming all that goes well, if I was one of the disciples, I might have had the question, hey, Jesus, what happens if they don't like what we have to say? Jesus continues, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Uh, what? Does that sound very Jesus-y to you? Doesn't sound very nice? What is Jesus grumpy because he had to get up early for the 8 a.m. service? What's going on? What's going on? If they don't welcome you, if they don't listen to you, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. In other words, keep moving. Shake it off. Jesus told the disciples to pack light, didn't he? You don't need to carry other people's rejection with you either. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. This was powerful coming from Jesus, who at one point, his own family rejected him. All the religious authorities thought he was a fraud. And eventually, his closest followers, these same disciples, would all bail on him. In another place in the Bible, Jesus said this in John 15, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. So rejection by the world is not something we should be surprised by as people who follow Jesus. Jesus is speaking in another time to these same disciples that he's sending out into ministry, only this time it's some of his parting words to them. This is from John 15. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So Jesus has chosen those who follow him out of the world. Now I think that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For me, it doesn't mean that we're somehow separate from the world and we don't want to be contaminated by it. It doesn't mean that church is a place that's like a fortress where we all hunker down together. The world is something we're involved in. We're, we're called to love and to reach. To me, what it means to be called out from the world is that we view things very differently than the world does. So if you know me, you love, I, I, you know I love the Microsoft table function on Word and so I made us a little chart. It's not fancy, but it's to, to kind of compare and contrast some of, the, some of the values the world has with some of the kingdom views, some of the, the kingdom values that scripture teaches us. According to the world, it's all about how good you look. You ever, you ever heard of an influencer that ain't good looking? No, I haven't. If, if, if I could be an influencer as a five and a half or a six, I would apply, right? It's just not how it works. It's all about how you look. But First Samuel 16 tells, tells us that the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I think we spend a lot of time making sure we're gonna be accepted by people based on how we look. Closely related to that, I definitely discovered in middle school that the world's going to judge you by the type of clothes you wear or the stuff you have. That ain't changed that much since I was in middle school. It's still all about having the latest trends or the latest tech, you know, having having the most up-to-date devices. That's a big deal. The book of James tells us, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes... And say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We teach our kids from the time they're little to measure themselves by all these different letters their GPA, or their ACT scores, or their SAT scores, or their MAP tests. A couple years ago, my son, who's gonna be in fourth grade this year, said to us, Guys, I need a globe. I'm like, oh, why need a globe? He goes, I gotta study for the map test. <laughs> I thought that was great. I think he was in kindergarten, yeah. So there's another another five bucks for you, buddy. But you know, we we teach our children to rank themselves based on their achievements. And then we don't really grow out of that because we just do it later on with our salaries. And then we kind of start the cycle over and live vicariously through the achievements of our children or our grandchildren. And the cycle goes on and on. And so the world says, you've got to earn your status. If you want to make it in this world, it's only what you earn. And you're only worth what you earn. Which is the opposite of the good news of the gospel. Which says that your standing with God is not dependent on what you have done for God, but on what God has done for you through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And in a Hall of Fame Bible verse in Ephesians 2, we read, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so the kingdom view is that we all stand before God as sinners indeed, of God's grace, and that God graciously provides that to all, no matter what you have or haven't done. And finally, in this world, now this may not be your deal, depending on what generation you're in, but it's a big deal according to how many followers you have. I've heard of authors that can't get book deals because they don't have enough followers on social media. Well, a kingdom view of following is not how many people are following you, it's who are you following. Jesus says very simply in John 21, 19, follow me. And so when we're operating with different values than the world does, when we see things very differently, not everyone's going to like that. God loves you and accepts you. The world probably won't. This should not be a surprise. You will experience rejection, especially when you start to take the things Jesus says seriously. So we can be unoffendable by being unsurprised when we're uninvited. I know that not everybody wants to party with the pastor. That's fine. I get it. But friends, we gotta keep it moving and shake the dust off and get rid of that rejection and not carry it with us when it happens. Well, how do we do that? We do that by having more confidence in Jesus' acceptance and less fear of the rejection of the world. That's how we do it. We already read that Jesus has chosen us out of the world. Another part of the New Testament puts it this way. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We have confidence before God. In this service, whenever we prepare to celebrate communion, one of the, uh, the meal Jesus gave us to remember him by, one of the things we say is with the confidence of the children of God. My goal today was that all of our students, as they enter into a next semester, would get a little shot of the confidence of the children of God. And you know what? You don't just need that when you're a student. We could use that all the time. That is how we choose to be unoffendable. We have the confidence of the children of God. We have uh, this, this quiet confidence that if someone rejects us, that we shake the dust off. We remember that we're in good company with Jesus because before the world rejected us, it rejected him. Geno Smith was a very successful high school and college quarterback, but his NFL career fizzled and he spent time on four different teams. Last season, he won comeback player of the year. And in September, his career resurgence began when his team won against the quarterback he had replaced. Here's why I tell you all this. In the post-game interview, he was asked, what what do you have to say to the people who wrote you off? And he said this, they wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. (laughs) I love that so much. I've been sitting on this since last September, (laughs) waiting for the perfect time. They wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. Oh, it's brilliant. When people write you off, why do you write back? Man, I had somebody tell me not long ago, gosh, Adam, I go to this bridge group and I feel like I'm I'm a ghost, like it doesn't even matter if I'm there or not, and I almost feel like it's the cafeteria again and I'm at school. I said, why do you keep going back? (laughs) If somebody's writing you off, don't write back. I love this so much. Don't waste your time trying to change who you are or compromise what you believe to get people to like you. Because if you're successful, they don't even like the real you. They like the version of you that you're trying to conjure up just to meet their whatever expectations. Friends, if you want to be unoffendable, be unsurprised when you're uninvited. Now, this is easier said than done. And so what I want to do to give you something to remember, to give you a little phrase, is to introduce you to two words as a way to cope with rejection by the world and a call to mind the confidence of the children of God. This is something I say to myself with some regularity, either out loud or in my mind. This is my verbal version of shaking the dust. It's only two words long. Are you ready? Their loss. (laughs) Their loss, baby. When you have the confidence of a child of God, you remember who you are and whose you are. And so if somebody doesn't want to invite you to the party, guess what? they're lost. When someone wants to make fun of your clothes and dismiss you, somebody say it with me, they're lost. That's right. When someone doesn't want you in the group or on the team, they're lost. When somebody won't date you because you want to set some physical boundaries, they're lost. When somebody wants to dump you because you won't send them pictures, they're lost. Friends, I'm here to tell you, If people want to cut you out because of what you stand for, they're loss. The quiet confidence of a child of God will last longer than any party, any trend on social media, any friend group, any style or fashion, any semester, any grade, any phase of your life. The quiet confidence of a child of God will guide you through, and it will outlast all of those things. I was talking to a 17-year-old who's going to start their junior year today before one of our services. And I said, here's the secret. Everyone is just as insecure as you are. All of us want the same things to be loved and accepted. And that's what God offers us in God's grace. And if we can possess this quiet confidence of the children of God, friends, I'm here to tell you, people will be drawn to that. I've been called church boy. More times than I can remember, and I was going to plaster up a picture of my family and say, Turned out pretty good for me. (laughs) Friends, memorize it, say it, and believe it. Their loss. Remember, if the world hates you, it hated Jesus first. When someone doesn't let you in or rejects you, shake the dust off the sandals and keep it moving. It's their loss. And so with the confidence of the children of God, let's pray. Holy and gracious and loving God, we thank you for these incredible students. We ask your blessing upon them as they start their school year. Go before them, watch over them, guide them and protect them. Be with their parents and their families who as they send them off can watch their child walk away from their influence and see the influence of others growing. Help us all live with the confidence of the children of God that we are loved and worthy because we are yours. God, whether we are 8 years old or 98 years old, help us to remember that if you are for us, what could stand against us? And everybody said, Amen. Amen.